Welcome to the Tooth or Dare podcast with Irene and Katrina. The only dental podcast to bring you a Canadian RDH and an American RDH. These ladies bring you mic-dropping interviews with your favorite social media peeps and epic people doing amazing things in dentistry. Now let's put our overgloves together for Tooth Life Irene and Katrina the Wine Genist. to another episode of the Tooth or Dare podcast, peeps, with your peeps, Irene and Katrina. Cheers, girl. Hey, girl. Hey. How hey, are, girl, you? Hey. are you? Hey. Are you having a good day? I am not having a good day, but I'm still living my best life, if that that's, makes any sense. You know that's all I ever want for you, Irene. That's all I ever for want you the, to live. for you to want for me, <laughs> is for you to want me to live my best life, and yes. for you to be living your best life, and then patronize me about living my best life, and really you're living your best, better, you're living your bestest, better life than me. Do you know, do you know what I feel like you and I are right now? Have you seen that meme of the dog that's like sitting in a burning building, and it's like, this is fine, but like, yeah, <laughs> this is totally, this is us. <laughs> Katrina, we're talking about living my best life and shame on us. Okay. Why? It is October yes. the 19th and we have yet to acknowledge National Dental Hygiene Month. <sighs> That's true. Shame on you. Shame on, shame on both of us and shame on Lou. Damn you, Lou. It's actually, so the interesting part is it's not actually shame on me. It's shame on you. You're American. I'm Canadian. We celebrate in March. Oh, shame on me then. Darn it. Shame on you. Shame on you. But you know who it's not shame on? Who? It's not shame on our friends at Hugh Freedy Uh. who are generously sponsoring this episode. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, welcome again back to the Tooth or Dare podcast to our friends at Hugh Freedy. Mm-hmm. Um, our peeps have generously sponsored episodes last year before pre Katrina. Pre PK. 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 And this year, um, I guess in 2020, I guess we're, we're rolling out the end of the year, mm-hmm. but um, Hugh Freedy is acknowledging National Dental Hygiene Month and some pretty cool things with their Hugh Freedy group. And they're bringing back their hashtag show us their purple week. Oh, yeah. Have you ever that. done that? Which actually starts today. It starts on October the 19th. So if you are with your peeps in your practice at your school or just strolling down the streets, just hashtag show us your purple in any of your posts to be featured on at Hugh Freeze Instagram. Um, and given the craziness of the year, of course, yeah. they're promoting RDHs each week to respond to questions um, like how do you stay inspired as dental hygienists? They're interviewing people and sharing lots of stuff on their platforms specifically on how to celebrate being a dental hygienist and what's your favorite part of being a dental Mm -hmm. hygienist. They interviewed me, which will be up on their blog, a little bit about what I do to stay inspired as a dental hygienist. Yes, that'll be be on Hugh Hugh Freedy's blog as well. So make sure that you check out their website and follow along on social media and um they've actually launched a new scaler did you know this what? Did you know about- is it amazing mm, do we love it? it i haven't seen it or i haven't tried it because it just launched so apparently i'm getting one shipped to me pretty soon but it's called the harmony scaler um and yeah they're you know promoting dental hygienists and helping us work more efficiently in our day-to-day jobs and i think they acknowledge that a lot of us are hand scaling mm-hmm. a lot more oh than we gosh. would like yes. right now so yeah, so they have a new Harmony Scaler, and I'm not going to give you uh, too much info on it because I want you all to check it out oh. at www.hughfreedy-com. 
hugh-freedy.com slash harmony. And um, you can find out a little bit more about the harmony scaler. Harmony. Doesn't that it sound nice? It sounds nice. Harmony. harmony. I was going to name, yes. I, you know, I, I have a, a little girl dog. Her name is Olive, but I was going to name her Gracie. How cute would that have been? No way, really? I should have named her Gracie. Why didn't you? Because she, because she's more of an olive. You already have Darby. I feel I like do. you should have named all of your dogs like dental hygiene related things. I was gonna name Baxter H six seven after my favorite mm, sickle. That'd be too weird. That'd be weird though. Like, can you imagine at the dog park? Like, I had an interesting day today. I had the first day in my business ownership life where I'm pretty sure. I paid my team more money than I made. Yeah, that, that happens. Makes sense. That happens sometimes. I mean, when you're you sign up for that sometimes as a business owner, it's yeah. not ideal, but like it happens. I had a fully stacked day, so I've been getting a lot of heat from people about being open so many hours, evenings, weekends. I saw mornings, that on your Insta story. I huge, huge yeah. heat, like huge. Heat. But these are from people that don't own their. I mean, respectfully. Some don't, I don't and some do, understand. and some and some have like purchased practices that were already open, mm. so they had a patient mm. list, and mm-hmm. like I get there's challenges with purchasing a practice and then trying to make it your own, and I, I mean, to to defend myself, I'm in a, I'm in a startup in an area that I don't know that's never had a dental mm-hmm. office. And I need to be open to, to figure out what my hours should be. Does that make sense? It does. And I don't know if you remember when we were at um, Voices of Dentistry, that was one of the things that was, you know, when you were like, I'm freaking out, I'm starting my business. Like, um, who was it? One of our guests. Gina. I feel like it was Gina, Gina Dorfman. Dorfman. Yeah, probably yeah. talked about it because she's amazing. But it's like, you have to understand your niche. And like, if you're, yeah. she said, like, if your niche is like stay-at-home moms, then like maybe, yeah, you can work nine to two and you're good but if you're right. seeing young working professionals you have to have a 6 a.m appointment you have to have a 6 p.m appointment because right. that's when they're coming in or over their lunch hour or whatever that looks like yeah. and you just and you like have to learn throw that. covid into it and yeah like everyone yeah. working from home and having yeah. calls and stuff during the day yeah. i mean it's it's challenging and i know it's challenging for us too because we're in a different time zone. We're three hours apart. So yeah. can you imagine someone working in a corporation that has people working in different time zones and trying to schedule calls? Like it's yeah. 9 p.m. my time. It's 6, 19-ish your time. Yep. So like it happens. Anyway, so I got some serious heat and it was just, it was crazy. I got a fully stacked day and then first patient came, no problemo. I started at 10 today. And then my second patient was a two-hour whitening appointment no showed and I should have known because we use we speaking of Gina Dorfman we use Yappy which mm-hmm. is her company it's like automated Yappy's forms awesome. and yeah yeah it's forms and text messages and confirmations and whatever and like this person didn't confirm and this person didn't send their forms back mm. mind you we'd been in communication with them and we only booked them a few days ago but still like I should have known that this person wouldn't show whatever so two hours in from like 11 to 12 and 12 to 1 so that happened and then my next patient after that significantly high blood pressure took the bp three times over 30 minutes and it was like 189 198 one whatever 99 and it was over like 110 117 116 so like our threshold or our guidelines say that if it's over 109 it's like refer like no treatment refer and it was like you know medical history was compromised switching meds like so much going on 
So you saved a life person. today, is what you did. I, like, I hope it's I annoying. Did. I mean, like you didn't, yeah, but you saved a life, right? I mean, did. I hope it did. And like all of my new patient exams are seven units because I do extra oral, intra oral, mm-hmm. oral cancer mm-hmm. screening, full mm-hmm. mouth probing, photos. Like I do a full record and then scale and then diagnose and whatever. Wait, and I want to ask you about those units really fast. So is it? T- true? I book by the ten minute unit. Yes, my my schedule is ten minutes, ten minutes but you. scaling is fifteen minutes of time. Is it true that in Canada you bill a patient based on the number of units or no? Correct. You bill so, the patient based on the um, the number, the amount of time that you spend working with them. So Scaling. So like new patient examination will have its own code and that's the records required for you to take do the new patient exam, kind of like a recall code. And then if you take photos, there's a code for that. If you take x-rays or full month series, there's a code for that. Uh, If you scale, the scaling units is based on 15 minutes of time. So if I scale for four units, it means that I've been holding a scaler and picking up a scaler of any kind for at least an hour. So what happens if you're a new grad and it takes you more time to scale? Then you bill more scaling units. And the patient is just told about that and they're and you're like, so I'm going to need to do like two scaling units and the patient's like, okay, yeah. Two units is only 30 minutes. I mean, that's what I do for a child. Like there's a threshold, right? There's like zero to nine minutes is considered half a unit. And then nine minutes to 14 or 15 minutes is considered one full unit. So it's based on that. There's a half a unit code and then there's a full unit code. So it depends on how many units you scale for. If you're, so the problem now with all of these offices that are not generating aerosols is that we have hygienists that are hand scaling, mm-hmm. but not using any other form of ultrasonic, mm-hmm. um, and then they're spending twice the amount of time. So mm-hmm. that was like one of the ethical dilemmas that I faced when I opened my practice. Wow. I didn't want to open too soon because I wasn't prepared to generate aerosols. I didn't have N95s. I didn't have an enclosed room. So I waited until I was able to get those things because I knew that the standard of care is much higher than hand scaling wow. all alone, right? That's that's so, really amazing. I mean, so that's how that works. That's it's based incredible. on Why? How does it work for you? Okay, this is what it is. Are you ready? In the United States, if a patient comes in and they're here for their, like, six-month checkup slash profi, you guys call it profis, right, in Canada? No? No? A profi is a polish. (laughs) Okay. There's no, there is no such, there's no such thing as profi here. Okay. In, in. It's three-month maintenance, four-month maintenance, five-month maintenance, six-month recall, or nine-month recall. So we have, our insurance companies here work on the code system. So if you have an insurance company, we have Sun Life or Green Shield or whatever these companies are, uh, they will allow the customer to have a checkup with the dentist, which is covered by a specific code, every six, nine, or 12 months. So that is just the exam itself. Sure. Scaling is done by units. So you can come as many times as you want in the year and you might have 10 units or 12 units or 16 units or my dad is employed by the government. He's got 18 units of scaling a year. So they can so use those units of scaling however they want. They're completely separate from what? one another. Yeah, they're completely separate. So you can come in and see your hygienist and of those 10 units, say we only use three units, that means you've got seven units left for either a rolling calendar year 
or a full calendar year, like January to January. Rolling means from the moment that you use that first unit. So let's say I have my first unit in March, then that means that my rolling calendar is to the March again. Okay. So they're two completely separate things. In the United States, you get two cleanings in a calendar year, sometimes. According to whom? According to the insurance. So the patients come All in. All insurances are like that? Yes. That's crazy. Yes. No. So they get two cleanings in a calendar year. Sometimes you get one cleaning every six months. And they come in and you get the amount of time that your doctor tells you that you have to clean. Okay. That also happens here because... Some offices are insurance-driven and some mm-hmm. are not insurance-driven. Yes. Meaning some allow insurance to dictate treatment mm-hmm. and some do not. I personally have worked in both. I've worked in offices that are insurance-driven and offices that are not. I've worked in offices that have behind my back changed my codes on me to either yep. more or less. Yep. Um, my philosophy in my office is I'll do my exam I'll probe and then I'll treatment plan what that year will look like what you need okay yeah and then I full disclosure tell my patient we get a breakdown for every single person before they come in and Mm -hmm. that's the beauty of using yappy is they send in their insurance forms like three days before they come in it gives my girls time Julie Naomi some time to call the insurance and be like all right how much insurance is, is covered and then I don't create my treatment plan based on that I use that to the advantage I'd be like okay well I recommend you come in three times per year it's gonna take me I don't know 45 minutes to an hour on your first visit because everyone's overdue right now yeah which means of those 10 units we're using four today means you'll have seven left or six left rather and then the next two will be this you'll be out of the pocket at the end of the year x amount of dollars like I'll Mm -hmm. tell them exactly what it is so that's how it works here the the checkup code with the doc is completely separate from the cleaning side of things or scaling side or debridement. And then there's two different kinds of codes. There's um, scaling codes and then there's SRP codes. And those sometimes are covered completely separately too. Mm-hmm. In the United States, it's you're here for your six-month profi. You were supposed to be here several months ago. You're super-duper behind. So I'm just going to hurry up and do everything that I can <laughs> and um and I'm gonna run behind and my back is gonna hurt and my neck is gonna hurt my shoulders are gonna hurt but I'm gonna try and get this done today because you get two profies in a calendar year and you had your first how much does that cost what does that what does that look like so what what does that mean how many how many units of scaling how many how what's the time an hour like so an hour would be amazing and i think um, most hygienists would say an hour in a perio office i get 70 minutes now with covid i get 70 right however there are offices where you get 35 or 40 minutes and you do scaling everything polish a probe Probe, an intraoral exam. Yep. I mean, let's talk about the reality of what's like probably going on. Some of that's probably getting swept under the rug. Probably. Katrina. Yes. Do you have any idea who we're interviewing today? No, Irene. Who are we interviewing? I'm so excited for this, by the way. 
Really? Yeah. You, are you always you're always exciting for this guessing game? I, it's it's, um, like, so, it's as much a surprise. It's for like our, our thing now. It's me. now our thing. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay. I'll give you a hint. Okay. Would you like a phrase or a song? I do want a song, Irene. You always want sing a song. A song. I want it, okay. I want inflection. I want <clears throat> in the right tone. Okay. Happy birthday, Mr. President. <laughs> is that is that your Marilyn Monroe impression? Happy birthday to <laughs> you. It's Matt Crispin, the previous president of the ADHA. It is Yay. immediate past president Matt, who we've tried to get on this podcast for so long Aww. that it took so long that he is now no longer president. Like we were talking about this while he was president. Yeah. And then now it's post-presidency. Yeah. But just as good because... He told us a lot of really fun stuff about his presidency, which I'm not sure if he would have been able to tell us if he was president. So perhaps it was in the best interest of the interview. Hmm. It also was know. a cool interview because you got a, like a behind the scenes of what it was like to be the president of the ADHA during a global pandemic. I thought you were going to say the president of the United States. Why do you keep wanting to go back there, Irene? Damn it. Um. Yeah. So. Uh. Anyways, here is the episode. Oh, you just with let's roll friend. the episode. Damn it. Let's just roll it. We'll catch you guys on the flip side. On the flippity flip. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of the Tooth or Dare podcast. Peeps, what is up? Welcome back. If you're new, hello. If you're not new, sup, Holmes. What's up, girlfriend? Hey, you're hey. here. I hear I'm here. I'm you're here, here. In live and live in living color. Here I am. Hi. <laughs> you and your you and your purple room. You I swear, there room? are two types of people in the world. The people that love purple and the people that don't and love the people purple. That don't. And the people that love purple go like all out. Like you've got two different colors of purple. Pretty sure I've seen multiple things in your home that are also mm. purple. Purple's the dental hygiene color. Uh, we have a, a guest who better to talk about the patriotism of dental hygiene. Um, Matt, what's up, Matt Crespin? How are you? Not too bad. I'm doing really You're well. Good. Yeah. Um, okay. Matt is is just just stepped down from his role as president of the ADHA. I guess you're called immediate past president as your current title. Correct. And we've been trying to get this interview on the roll for so long that it, it, we started talking about it while you were president and now you are past president. So oh. we we are so grateful that you have taken mm -hmm. the time to hang out with us here and chat with us a little bit more and enlighten our listeners and us on, I don't know, I want to know everything about your path to presidency. Yeah. This yeah, is like, it, like if you look at his bio, I when do you sleep? Like it's yeah, I know I'm, it's look, I'm looking at it now. All of um, these things that that he's done, like I can't wait to hear about all of this because it's such a such a colorful way to serve the dental community. I and think. and you've gone from graduate to president in a very I, I think it's a short period of time. Like you graduated in 2002 with your degree, mm -hmm. right? You have a bachelor's yeah. of science degree in health science. Mm -hmm. um, and then you're just became president 2020. I mean, I, to me, that seems like really fast, but I don't know, mm -hmm. perhaps you can kind of enlighten us a little bit about that. And I've got some questions about you were the first male president of I the was. ADHA. Yep. And that's a huge, huge thing, huge mm -hmm. task, huge feat, huge <clears throat> change in the, 
the face of dental hygiene, I'd like to say, because it's very much been a female-dominated field for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm happy to, to know that numbers are increasing and there mm-hmm. are more male dental hygienists that are graduating and practicing. But yeah, let's let's like start from the beginning. Where, where does Matt 101 start? <laughs> like, let's talk about pre-dental hygiene. Like, what made you want to go into dental hygiene? Like, what made you want to choose this career path? It was honestly, it was kind of a little bit like dental hygiene chose me. Um, I, you know, Katrina and I have joked in the past before that, you know, we kind of traded places because um, I grew up in a small town in Arizona and ended up in Milwaukee to go to college. And But I love the Midwest. And so I moved here really with the, the intention of going to dental school. I went to Marquette University. They have really good dental school there. Um, went... Uh, to school in my first year and I was a biology major and I couldn't stand it. I um, worked as a dental assistant a little bit in high school for a family friend's practice and really kind of wanted to do more clinical work. And uh, a couple of people that lived on my floor happened to be dental hygiene students and, uh, or in my building, I should say. And they said, you know, why don't you think about dental hygiene school and then go to dental school? And that's actually what their plans were. So I looked into it uh, midway through my first year at Marquette. I applied. There happened to be an opening, and I got in kind of mid-semester and didn't really realize till later in life that, you know, it can be pretty competitive and pretty hard to get into dental hygiene school. So I felt kind of lucky that it was a right time, right place type of moment. Um, and really, by luck, again, kind of fell into the job um, with the organization that I'm actually still with today. I, When I was at Marquette, I did a rotation at Children's Hospital of Wisconsin, and there was a job opening there. And I thought, oh, this would be a nice change of pace, work in pediatrics. I really liked working with kids, you know, work for a hospital system, you get benefits. So I applied for this job. And um, what, my did, now- what did that job look like? Like, what was the day to day? That was the Children's <laughs> well, Health Alliance in like, yeah. 2010. So, like, what does that mean to someone that has never, or me? Like, I, yeah. I don't even know what that day to day would look like. Well, funny enough, I didn't really apparently know what it looked like either. Because <laughs> I, what I thought it looked like was me getting to see kids and and providing pediatric care, but. Um, so when I applied, my, the person who's actually now still my boss, um, called me and said, you know, I'm really interested in your resume. I'm interested in talking to you more, but I want to explain the job a little bit more and make sure that you understand that it doesn't involve clinical practice at all. And I was kind of like, oh, okay, well tell me a little bit more about it. And she talked a lot about, um, the various aspects of advocacy and program planning, um, the position would be really facilitating and planning a school-based dental sealant program that the state runs. So that really intrigued me, that, and I'm really, really interested in advocacy, and those two things kind of sold me. So after we had this conversation, I'm like, I really want this job. So I applied and interviewed and got hired as a project manager. Um, So I served as a project manager for several years, and as our organization started to grow, and in particular, our oral health program started to grow, um, there started to become a need for some additional layers of leadership within our organization. It was difficult for my boss, our executive director, to really manage um, all of the staff as we were growing. Um, And like I said, in particular, we had started to grow to where we had three staff that were working on oral health And so she developed a new position, the associate director position that I have, 
um, that a couple of our internal staff applied for. I was lucky enough to be selected for it. Um, and, you know, again, our program has continued to grow. So our organization, um, we have seven different health initiatives that we focus on. We're part of a large children's hospital, but we look and act like our own independent nonprofit, but we're really not. We're, our fiscal agent is a hospital, but we use different branding, different logos. Um, so they give us a lot of autonomy, but they provide a lot of financial support. So they give us a place to work. They are awesome. our finance department, our IT, our human resources, um, all of that stuff that nonprofits can sometimes struggle with or even for-profits. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so oral health is one of the seven initiatives that we manage. And I oversee all of our oral health work. And then I also oversee a, a program called Reach Out and Read, which is an early childhood literacy program that's predominantly um, administered in primary care offices through pediatric uh, well-child visits, kids zero to five. When they come in for their well-child visit, they receive a book and the physician uses that book as a tool to do their developmental screening. They can determine whether the kid is being read to at home based on what they do with the book. They can test for vision. Really? What, is that, what does that book. mean? How do you know if, if a child's being read to at home with what they so, do with the book? So if a, so say, for example, a physician comes into the room and he hands the child a book and let's say the child is two and a half years old and they say, oh, if you give a mouse a cookie, I love that book. So right away, the physician then knows the child is being read to at home because he recognizes the book. He's now assessed verbal skills because the child has said words and he can assess to see if there's any verbal issues from a developmental standpoint. He then can take the, you know, a younger child might take the book and open it up. And if they open it up or turn it upside down, you know, if it's upside down and they turn it right side up, they understand that the book is a story and it's, it's mm -hmm. supposed to go in a certain um, category or certain order. So many physicians that are part of this program will say that, having a book to do developmental screening is just as valuable as coming into the room with a stethoscope. Wow. Huh. That's amazing. Yeah. So it's, it's, they, it's a really the cool program. Is the parent in the room? Is yeah. the parent ever in the room? So I wonder if like, if they take the book and they look at the parent for whatever reason, like in knowing that the parent might read the book to them or something, I wonder if that would be like a nonverbal cue that they're either yeah. read to or not read to. Well, and sometimes it can be a way for, um, physicians to help have conversations with maybe a parent that has a low literacy level. You know, if you're, if you're working with a family that's, you know, potentially low income family who a lot of our programs are targeted to, you might have a mom or dad or grandma that's with them that might not read well. And so it's a way for the physician to say, you don't necessarily need to read the words, but you can tell the story based on the picture and the child hearing those words is going to help with their developmental, um, with their brain development. So, um, it, it's a, it's an evidence-based model. There's like 20 evidence-based um, articles that have been put out on Reach Out and Reads model. And um, it started in Boston and it's now spread out all over the country. And we're the home of the Wisconsin affiliate um, of this program. Wow, that is so cool. So fast forward to your position there. Now you're the associate director mm -hmm. of Alliance. Yep. So that, how many, wow. how many jumps on that in, incline um, would you say that has been from pro project coordinator? <laughs> um, it's really been, so I got hired as project manager and the way our structure is there, um, we now have a senior project manager level, but at the time we didn't. So I really moved from project manager to associate director. Um, so we have an executive director and then myself, and then we have a couple, it's an, again, a new title since I've been there, but a program leader 
they're kind of the direct connect to each of our individual initiatives. And I sort of serve as that role for two different initiatives. So early literacy, reach out and read, and then all of our oral health programming. Did you so know this that, is, yeah, okay, this, we do this, we no. do this all the time. Okay. So this is, I'll, I'm going, I'm going, you have to, who's raising their right? hand first. <laughs> so this is, this is interesting because you were working clinically and then you kind of got escorted into this um, position where now you're taking on this non-traditional non-clinical role for, for hygienists. And I know, I know there are a lot of hygienists out there that are listening that have an interest in moving from the clinical space into a non-clinical space. So can you go through some of the things um, early on that you identified that helped to really prepare you for this position? And then also along with that, as I'm learning about this early childhood reading and some of these literacy programs, those are not things that we learn in hygiene school. No. So yeah. how did you, you just like show up on day one and you're like, yeah, lit literacy, like I get it. And then you like go home and Google it. Like how did you, how did you get to the place where you, you can so eloquently you know, speak yeah. about this. Well, when I started, um, the only two initiatives that our program led were oral health and asthma. So we didn't even manage an early childhood literacy program. So, um, you know, one of the first things that was a real challenge for me when I stepped into this role was trying to understand the way that Medicaid worked. Mm -hmm. um, just understanding that there was this huge access to care issue, you know, learning about the challenges that exist amongst you know, hygienists, not just in our state, but in other states, how it's different the way you practice from state to state. Um, so it was really trying to dive in and better understand how we as a program that doesn't provide any direct care could actually impact access to improve oral health outcomes. So a lot of it was, um, you know, trying to learn from other people that have been doing this. So I was lucky enough to um, really kind of be taken under the wing of several different hygienists in my state that were at the time running their school-based dental sealant programs around the state. And so, you know, here I come five years out of dental hygiene school, and now I'm in charge of, um, you know, at the time it was a $120,000 budget to manage these school-based dental programs. And many of these hygienists had been doing this for 10 years. And now I'm supposed to help them improve their work. Well, really, it was them, you know, taking the time to help me understand what they were doing so that I could sort of better understand how it worked. And then from, you know, colleagues across the country, learning how their sealant programs work would bring that stuff back to Wisconsin, share what's working in our state with others, and just really kind of continue to grow that. Um, it was pretty quickly that I realized I really needed to continue my education um, shortly after starting at the Alliance, um, again, lucky that my hospital provides tuition support and they paid for me to go and get um, a community dental health certificate, which at the time was offered in our state um, via remote learning. Um, and then shortly after that, I went and got my master's in public health. And that really kind of helped me springboard to understand more about population health um, activities and how do you actually um, you know, look at things from the 30,000 foot view and say, if we just move this one lever, we can really open up access to a whole population of people that may not have had it. Um, and, you know, so that's, you know, from an oral health standpoint, that's really what I did. Um, with early literacy, honestly, it was a lot of trial by fire. Um, the medical director of our program is, um, 
he's phenomenal. I mean, he speaks all over the country on early childhood literacy and brain development. And I just learned a lot from him. And, you know, my role really with that program is I just provide operational and strategic support to the staff. They do the day to day. You know, what I just shared with you about the program, I've heard them tell people a hundred times. So it's Mm -hmm. just committed to memory, but, um, you know, it's just one of those things you kind of learn, but it's, it's, again, it's a, it's, using evidence-based tools. It's a population health model, um, but it's, you know, taking kids that are already coming in for well-child visits and providing them with a tool that the physician can use, but then many of these kids don't have books. So by the time they're done with this program, they have a library of books that they get every time they come in. So that's That's really cool. You said something about your budget. So you, when you started out, there was a $124,000 budget and has that, and that was in 2006. Um, has that budget changed or grown? And, and if so, where does the money come from? So the budget for our sealant program, um, when I started was $120,000. In fact, it had just moved up. So right before I started, um, the budget prior to that was $60,000. And those, Whoa, those dollars came, yeah, the story will get a lot better though. Um, so when I came, um, the governor at the time had increased the dollars for sealant programs through the state budget from 60,000 to 120,000, um, couple years, maybe two years down the road, the state received some federal funding that they put towards the sealant program, um, probably about another 50, $60,000. And then, um, when that funding ended, um, Delta Dental of Wisconsin, who had at the time been giving out some small grants to dental sealant programs, came to us and said, you know, you're collecting a lot of really uniform and robust data on this program. Rather than us giving out dollars separately from you, we're thinking about um, approaching the state and letting the state know that we'd be willing to match dollar for dollar an increase in investment that the state puts in. So Hmm. at the time, the state was already putting in 120,000. And so they approached the state and they said, for every dollar over $120,000 you put in, we'll match it up to $250,000. So the state says, this is a no brainer. They put in 250, the state put in 250. And then now we were working with, you know, $620,000. That has continued to grow. Um, This current year, we're at about one point just under 1.1 million and next year we'll be at about 1.25 million. Um, So the state has continued to invest. Delta Dental has continued to invest um, just because they've seen the significant outcomes that this program has, has developed. We've grown from when I started, we were, we had eight programs and we were in, I don't know, 50, 60 schools. And now we have about 40 programs that we fund and we serve over a thousand schools. So it's just been great to see the program grow and, you know, being able to work. I work with our state department of health. They contract with us to provide this service. And there's a hygienist there named Robin that I work very closely with. And her and I work, you know, our day to day is really working with these programs to, you know, start from scratch, working with a local public health department that's never provided dental care before to understand what equipment they need to buy, um, how to hire a hygienist, how to interview a hygienist, and then helping the hygienist understand how to use portable equipment and provide a very different type of care than what you typically would provide in private practice. Mm-hmm. Have you have you noticed a, a shift or a change in the reduction of decay in adults since you've implemented this child program? I mean, I was looking at uh, 
the burden of oral health disease in Wisconsin 2010. Mm -hmm. And then there's a, there's a, a chart, a geographic chart that shows all of the subsidies. Um, and it, in some of the cases, it's between 537 to 66% of adults that have gum disease or decay. And that was back in 2008, and the study was conducted in 2010. Do you think that that's changed now that there are more children being treated? It's increasing the responsibility in the adults as well? Um, I don't know that there's a direct correlation there, at least just yet. So our program is, it, this year is 20 years old. So you figure, you know, kids that we were seeing when the program started, if they were six, they're, you know, in their early 20s, mid-20s. Um, but what we have seen is as this program has evolved, um, you know, when the program first started, we only saw second graders. That was only kids we saw. And now we've really evolved into seeing pretty much every kid in K to eight that signs up. Because what we were finding is we were sometimes, depending on the geographic nature of the schools, we were sealing more kids in first grade than in second grade because the teeth were erupting at that point. Mm -hmm. So what we've seen is since 2002, when the state did their first third grade oral health survey um, through, I believe, 2017 or 2018 was the last third grade oral health survey, the rate of untreated decay in third graders has dropped from just over 30% to around 16 or 17%. Wow. So, and, and if you want, if you, if you look at the growth of our program and you overlay that with the decrease, they correlate exactly. So as our program increased in service area and in number of kids that we served, the decay rates continue to go down. So that's why Delta and the state continue to, to support it because they see the direct impact of that. Um, you know, there's, we're still going to have kids that have decay, but, you know, to go from having a, over a third to, you know, less than one in five is a pretty, that's a pretty significant change. Absolutely. Wow. That's, I, and it's incredible. And it, it speaks to the, yeah. the importance of prevention. I think um, after the whole um, Diamante <clears throat> driver experience happened um, on the East Coast, I think that was a huge impetus for a lot of community oral health programs to look at yeah. what they were doing for early childhood decay. So, Well, and, and on that note, I think what's really important is what we found is, is that, you know, we can put sealants on kids when they're in second grade or first grade or even kindergarten. But what we started to look at was, in addition to the state doing surveillance on third graders, they were doing it on Head Start kids. Mm -hmm. And what we found is that 30% of kids in Head Start at age three already had Wait, what, what's Head decay. Start? I'm a Canadian. Uh, I don't have that here. That's Head Start is an early, early, childhood, early childhood education program that primarily um, serves uh, low-income families. So it's uh, three, four, and five-year-olds. So it's like pre-kindergarten oh. um, education. Um, 30% of kids when they were three had untreated decay and by five, 50% had untreated decay. So we can see them when they're in kindergarten, but if they already have decay when they're in Head Start, then we got to go earlier. So we, we ran a program for several years called Earlier is Better that focused on Head Start. And what we learned from that was that even getting them at Head Start was too late. Wow. So wow. that has led us to this new program that we've been implementing for about a year, which is called our Medical Dental Integration Project, which is embedding a dental hygienist in a medical clinic that yeah. will, you know, like we said, you, you use Reach Out and Read when a patient comes in for a well-child visit. So we looked at the data, and what it showed us in Wisconsin was that 
um, kids ages zero to five that are enrolled in Medicaid, there were uh, there was a difference of a hundred thousand kids who see their physician for a well child visit compared to those that see a dentist. Mm -hmm. So you have a you have a huge window of opportunity with this captive audience that's already coming in for well child visits, but they're not getting any dental services at all. And that's even with the fact that physicians can apply fluoride varnish, yes. but just many of them don't. They're, they they have so many things to do that it's hard for them to balance it. So we're pilot. We we our organization for two years. We spent time um, changing the practice act so that dental hygienists could practice in physicians' offices. And then once we were successful in that, we wrote for a grant that allowed us to now embed a dental hygienist into these practices. And they see kids for well child visits. So they come in, they do a screening, they do fluoride varnish, they do education with mom or dad or grandma, grandpa. Hmm. They might do SDF. Maybe they do um, sealants, depending on if they haven't gotten them in schools. But it, it, unless you get to those kids earlier, you're still not going to decrease that rate in Head Start. The sealant program is, you know, one thing, but you got to get to kids really, really early. And And we know that in clinical practice, general dentists, and even sometimes pediatric dentists, it can be hard to get into, just aren't seeing little kids. Yeah. Um, in, in comparison to other states in the U.S., how would you say your programs stand up? Are they advanced? Are they uh, treating more children than other states? And it's, it's, yeah. I'm sure it's difficult to say, but... Um, how, I would how say does... from a sealant program standpoint, we're a bit unique in that virtually all of the sealant programs in the state fall under our programming. In many states, you have lots of different entities that are providing care. They're competing with one another. They're not collecting data. They're not submitting it to the state. So oftentimes the state doesn't really know what the true impact of that is. We're a bit unique because we sort of grew from, you know, first we were allowed to do it and then we started doing it and we sort of grew organically uh, and somewhat purposefully, but we've been able to keep pretty much, there's really only one program that provides school-based sealants in our state that's not aligned with us. Um, it's not the case in most states, but um, th there's many other states that have really great school-based sealant programs. Um, you know, Michigan is one, they have a really successful program. Um, uh, Oregon and Washington both have great school-based sealant programs, so they vary. Um, the Pew Center on the States, they've done some research and they used to do like a report card every other year on states on, you know, what how states are doing with school-based care. Um, and we would consistently get an A. Um, and so you could look back at some of those reports to see where other states fare. But um, some of it has to do with the restrictions that are, are exist for hygienists to do it. You know, right. it's not cost effective mm -hmm. to have a dentist out screening kids to say, yes, put a sealant on here. No, don't when a hygienist is trained and able to do it and is doing it in, you Regular know, a number practice. of other states. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We could talk about your let's, program. Yeah, I was just going to say, let's, let's, I want to know, <laughs> let's elephant do in the room. So how hmm. did you start? When did you know that you wanted to have more of a political role within dental hygiene? So I know you started as a trustee, correct? In well, I started, 2015? Yeah, I, I mean, really, I started, I got really involved with my state association. Um, just more on a, on a somewhat an informal level, I was, you know, at my local component, a classmate and I said, you know, there's nothing really going on here. What can we do? Um, and her and I decided to start having local continuing education courses. And 
social events and networking events and just kind of that, you know, steamrolled into, oh, I'd like to do more at the state level. And I got more involved at the state level. Um, for a couple of so, years, so I does planned. That, does that mean, does that, sorry, for the Canadians listening, because yes. we're, we're split in the middle and everything is so different from us up north and you guys down south, although sure. we're, you know, we're buddies, yeah. things are very different. So sure. when you talk about your component, um, yeah. describe what that means. Because in my mind, it's like a study club of some kind. It is. It is. It's a local it's, study club. Yeah. Like my local use... geographic region. Right. Okay. But so at the time, no, there was nothing going on locally. There was no okay. events planned. The, the, the component was really dead. And so, you know, we reached out. How did out. you fund for that? How did you? Well, there was, they had funding, but just nothing was happening. Oh. So we approached the people that were doing it and said, we're really interested in getting involved. And they're like, good, because we've been doing it for all these years and we're tired of it. And so, you know, for a year, we kind of worked together with them. And then we just kind of took it off and started planning events. And that got me more interested in state participation. Um, and then I got more interested in the national level when I became a delegate at the House of Delegates meeting. Um, I think what really was the tipping point for me was when I was a state leader, um, I attended um, a conference that ADHA hosts every year called Unleashing Your Potential, which really the focus of that meeting is to grow national leaders. So it's to expose you to different skill sets and leadership competencies that you need to understand to serve at the national level. And when you're there, one of the activities that you do is you actually write yourself a letter and about a year later, they mail it to you. And what? wait, what? Say that again. They make you write yourself a letter like, yep. Hey, Hey, future Matt, how's yep. it going? Like that yep. kind of thing. Yeah. And, and to kind <laughs> do of you have you, your letter, can you read uh, it to us? I don't have it handy. It's, it's private. Irene, I'll, he wrote that to himself. He's going to read okay. it on the air with us. <laughs> but, but I'll tell you what's funny is, um, so you write the letter at the end of this weekend because you know, you've, you've gone through this and you're kind of trying to, tell yourself, what do I want to do? Do I want to step up and lead at the national level or don't I? And, you know, I knew when I left at that point, I knew that really my goal was at some point to be ADHA president. And I didn't no know way. if- you knew. I, I didn't know if I would, and I didn't know when, but I knew that I wanted to at some point in time. And so I wrote this letter to myself. Um, I went to Unleashing Your Potential in 2012 and I get the letter in 2013. And when I got the letter out of my mailbox at home, I looked at it and I said, this is weird. It looks like my handwriting on it. And I had totally <laughs> forgot. forgot, I totally <laughs> forgot that I wrote myself this letter. So I opened it up and I start looking at it. I'm like, oh yeah, it's the letter to myself. And so I had told myself that I wanted to, you know, I had set some goals that I wanted to do. And one of them was to start to, you know, be more involved at the national level. And so I became involved as a committee member and I decided um, when it, the term was up and um, at the time Tammy Filipiak was our trustee, she was going to run for office. Uh, in fact, I was her campaign manager and so had she not won, she would have been the trustee again. Or actually, I don't think she could have. I don't remember how it worked back then, but um, I decided I was going to run for trustee and I ran unopposed, but I was elected as trustee and did that for two years. And I could have run again and just timing in my life, I kind of said, if I'm going to be president, I need to either do it now or I need to be two more years as a trustee and then I need to step away for a while. Um, at the time, my son was two 
And so I thought, well, if I, if I'm going to run and I'm successful and I go through that, you know, ladder away a lot, he'll be six when I'm done, which he just turned six. Um, if I wait two more years, he's going to be eight when I'd be done. And there's just so much, he's so active and so much going on that I'm like, I either got to do it now or later. So it was timing. Um, and it was, you know, getting buy-in from my employer to understand that, you know, I'm going to be away and are they going to support me in this? And they were extremely supportive. Um, and it, so you know, wait, I stop back <laughs> up. Cause I feel like you skipped over the really hard part. Yeah. Like yeah. He skipped, totally did. Yeah. yeah he's just like, <laughs> it was, like, like, was either my now or later. Was happy, like, and my kid was yeah. great. Not, and my wife not, was amazing. We're not, we're not Everything there was yet. Great. <laughs> let's no. talk about, let's talk about what that, what does that entail? So you have these amazing accomplishments, you set up these amazing programs in place and yeah. um, you've made great connections. You started in your smaller district or, and then mm-hmm. you kind of grown to more of a national level, but what does that mean? What work did you have to put in? Um, and how do you, how does one apply to become president? Like it, it's, it's not just like a, I'm going to mail in an application and hope yeah. that they like someone votes for me. Like, yeah, what well, does when, that look you know, like? Yeah. So, um, so you, you apply to the nominating committee, which is a committee. Can I, wait, yes. can I tell you what I envision? Yes. Oh, no, Katrina, Katrina and I do this Buckle where up. she, she <laughs> for example, when Katrina told me about her, uh, Somal, she's a sommelier, she's a level one Psalm, as, as we say, she told me about how she got her Psalm and I envisioned it to be like this cult sort of thing where they're all wearing capes and they're like, like around like a fire. And yeah. And they're all like that. That's how I envisioned it. So let me tell you how I envisioned this to happen. I envisioned okay, that you have like a building or a room of some kind, like perhaps was a, was a mail room or a um, old post office that you like rented out and you had little stations, little workstations and there were balloons and stuff. And you had your name like Matt for president or vice president. And then you had a whole bunch of people on phones that were calling, calling, just trying to get pledging and pledging. (laughs) (laughs) And and you would sell the whole table for the dinner. (laughs) That's no. that is how I envision it. And like buttons, did you have pins? Like no. buttons? did you like map for president? Dreamers, signs Dreamers? in front of your yard. I mean, where are we going no. with this? So, this is, yeah. so it's it's a good question. Um, so <laughs> when you decide you're going to run, and it, by the way, it's nothing like any of that. Um, oh, okay, great. You're way off. So, <laughs> so when you decide you're going to run, you submit an application to the nominating committee, which are you know they're questions. They're questions about what skill sets you have, what are your strengths, yeah. what are your weaknesses, what do you think you need to work on. Um, the nominating committee reviews all the applications for offices. You have an interview with them, um, and then they determine whether or not you they feel as though you have the right skill sets to be put on the ballot. So they don't oh. select who the next people are. They just simply say, we think you have the right skill sets, or maybe you should work with our leadership development committee and wait another year and run next year, reapply next oh, year. okay. So, you know, at the time I applied to the nominating committee, I was placed on the ballot. When I ran for vice president, I ran unopposed. Um, but you still campaign because somebody can run from the floor the day of the election. Mm, so, really? But ADHA has really strict rules around campaigning because they don't want the focus to be on all of this other buttons and t-shirts and signs so you're literally limited to two things 
you can have a platform statement that goes on the website. And so everybody can have access to that. And it kind of gives you a little bit of a sense of what their background is like. And it's a little bit of a mini bio. And then at annual conference where they elect you, you can have a poster and it, the poster just has your picture on it and it says what office you're running for. Really? Um, and that's it. And then, there, you know, there's a, there's an opportunity where you provide, you can give a speech and people can ask questions and people ask you a lot of questions you know, leading up to the election, even when you're running unopposed, because they want to know, you know, where you're at, what's your leadership style like, and that sort of thing. So the same process occurred when I ran for president-elect the next year. And then once you're elected president-elect, you kind of get a little bit of a breather because then you just become president. Um, you don't have to have another election. But that year as president-elect is really meant to be a learning year. So you're, you're really right alongside the current president, which my year when I was president-elect was Michelle, Michelle Brerman. Yay, Michelle, if you're listening, I love you too. Yay. She's great. <laughs> I just talked to her on the phone yesterday. And, um, you know, she's did a great leader. Did you tell her leader. you were doing an interview with the, with the crazy did. ginger and the crazy Canadian? <laughs> I did, I told her I was doing a podcast with you guys. Um, so, you know, it, she was a really good mentor. She really helped me. And our leadership styles are very different. Um, so I learned things that, you know, worked well for her that I don't think would, that I don't think work, would work well for me. And How vice versa. so? Like what? Um, I think it's just our styles. You know, I think she's, um, Michelle's, um, Michelle's very direct. Um, if you don't know Michelle, she's very direct. And some people, well, I can deal with that, but some people can't. Um, I can sometimes not be as direct and maybe sometimes to a fault, um, it's just, that's just my style. So, you know, everybody's leadership style is a little bit different. Um, but I learned a lot from her and I learned a lot from Tammy, who was a president the year before her. Um, so, you know, then I became president elect and then the following year I became president and the year flew by, especially the last four months. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. So cool. What, what are some of the most memorable things that you have from, your presidency. Yeah. Um, it, and, and I'm sure it flew by, like it must've gone yeah. by so quickly. Well, you know, a year ago today, I was on an airplane flying to Australia for IFDH. IFDH. Um, so definitely that was very memorable for me is to be able to represent the United States at an international meeting. I was actually, Anne Batrell and I spoke, we gave a lecture on leadership um, so I was able to speak at an international meeting, which was really cool. Um, and just the experience of meeting hygienists from all over the country that are struggling with the same things we're struggling with um, was really an amazing experience. And you meet lifelong friends over the course of just a couple of days that, you know, from all over the world. Um, so that was certainly memorable. Um, you know, just um, the, one of the other things that really sticks out in my mind is just the relationship that you develop with our staff. So you don't really get to know the staff super well when you're on the board. You do a little bit, but when you're president, I mean, they are your people. You know, they are there to protect you. They are there to make you look good. They are to make, there to make sure you don't, you know, step on your toes and trip over your feet. And it, that's just what they're there for. And so they, you know, really were unreal. I mean, I could not have gotten through the year without them. Um, and then, you know, of course, it's a year where, you know, I'm the president in the midst of a pandemic where I'm having a conversation and I, this is, this will always stick out in my mind. I was having a conversation with um, Ann Batrell 
um, and it was the weekend um, prior. It was like the weekend of like March 13th or 14th or whatever that Friday or Saturday yeah. was. The week prior, my hospital had basically said everybody that can work from home should probably start working from home. And we kind of thought like, oh, this is going to be maybe a couple weeks. We'll be back here. And then it got really bad over the weekend. And I remember having a conversation with Anne and I said, you know, I think we need to convene a board meeting and have a conversation about this. I said, because this seems to be getting a lot worse. And some of the stuff that I'm reading on social media is pretty scary. So, you know, I said, I, in, I mean, how crazy is it to think as a professional organization that represents hygienists, we were going to have a discussion with our board about making a recommendation to stop providing dental hygiene care. I just I mean, got goosebumps, guys. Literally, I don't know if you can see, but in my entire, all of my arm, my, my entire body is goosebumps. But, you know, what I learned really quickly, and it wasn't necessarily from this decision, but it was from, you know, many decisions, is that any decision you make as a leader of a national organization or of a business like you guys are running, you're going to please people and you're going to upset people. And this was, to me, was one of the most immense examples of, you're telling a profession to stop practicing. So you're telling hygienists they should not work. So you knew that that was going to potentially be very divisive. People going, are you crazy? And thank goodness you've said this. Um, and, and I would say it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. I think for the most part, people were fairly supportive. Within a week, I think people were very, very supportive of the decision. We made that recommendation. Um, and then it just seemed like those next four months flew by. I mean, I just don't even know where April, May went. Um, and, and really, you know, for me, the probably the four most challenging months of my professional career of trying to balance that with working full time. So, but can you walk yeah. us through that? Because I mean, I don't think people realize that yeah. you're still balancing your, you know, the career that you had before you stepped sure. in this position. And then you're like responding. I can't imagine what your email yeah. inbox probably looked like. So can yeah. you kind of walk us through kind of yeah. what that looked like? Well, I mean, like pre-pandemic, you know, that my days were fairly typical. I mean, I, you know, I worked, you know, pretty much 7.30 to 4.30 at my office. Um, that's, you know, 15 minutes from my house. I dropped my kid off at school. I'd go to the office. Um, and my day would be a blend between my work responsibilities and ADHA responsibilities. So, you know, I have seven staff that report directly to me at my work. So I'm responsible for them. I'm responsible for my reporting to my boss um, and, you know, goals and objectives that were in our grants and that sort of stuff. So all that stuff stayed the same. Um, but I had to juggle the ADHA piece in the mix of it. So, you know, ADHA was really good about saying, okay, give us some time. So like, let us know when you're available during the week and we'll schedule the types of meetings we need with you during those times. My, my employer was very, very flexible and supportive of that. So my day would kind of bounce back and forth between ADHA and children's health line stuff. But then came the travel stuff. So then you're traveling for the association and you're not at the office with your staff and you're not oftentimes getting your work done. So, um, or you're not getting your work done during traditional office hours. So, you know, during the day you're at conferences or you're speaking or you're doing whatever it is you're doing. Um, but, but it's not, I would say it's not in any way this glamorous um, lifestyle that anybody thinks about. I mean, I would book my own plane tickets just like anybody else. I book my hotel. I would 
take it over to the hotel and I, you know, eat dinner with whoever was traveling with and um, then usually go to my room and try to catch up on work stuff because that was my time to, you know, connect back with my staff. And, you know, I always told my staff, like, no matter where I'm at, whatever I'm doing, if you ever need anything, you can always text me and I can stop whatever it is I'm doing and connect with you nine times out of 10. So it was just that balance. Um, but you know, it was challenging because when you're the president, I would say every other week I was on a trip. So you're balancing work and then you're balancing being away. And so, you know, luckily my mother lives close so she could come up and help with pick up or drop off. Um, my wife is a teacher, so her schedule is really inflexible. So, um, you know, luckily I had the family support, um, to get through that and, um, you know, but the experiences were great. I mean, getting to go to Australia, getting to go to greater New York and representing ADHA there was great. I mean, they, I mean, that's really where they, you know, really roll the red carpet out for you is at, at greater New York. They, they take care, like they treat the ADHA president like a king or a queen. I mean, you get to go to these big galas, you know, they, they send you all the tickets. It's not something that ADHA buys. It's, the Greater New York Dental Association does all that. You sit up at this, it was the most interesting experience. You, they have this um, this big lunch and um, all of the presidents that are there from international organizations and state presidents and some of the national ADA people are all up there. And it's these rows and rows of people that sit up on the, it's like a wedding times 20. And wow. um, so that was, you know, really kind of cool. And then the pandemic hit and honestly, um, if my employer hadn't been supportive, I probably would have been fired from my job because, mm-hmm. um, wow. I was very disconnected. I mean, I would try to connect with them as much as I could, but I was so immersed in everything that was mm-hmm. going on with ADHA that, um, you know, my work life balance got so out of whack because I mean, I would get up at, you know, five in the morning cause I couldn't sleep thinking about what was going on. And I'd spend a couple hours catching up on emails, catching up on projects. And then it would be meeting after meeting after meeting with staff or with a reporter or with the task force or with whoever it was, all that stuff was going on. And so it was just, I mean, it was crazy. It was the craziest four months of my life, seriously. So what's next? We're, 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 yeah, but the future of that, if you were to write a letter to yourself in one year, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, I, I really love the organization that I work for. Um, Children's Wisconsin is an amazing organization. Um, they're very well recognized in the state as leaders in pediatric care. And it is an amazing place to work. They take amazing care of us from, helping us grow professionally. And so, you know, I hope to spend the rest of my career, hopefully there. Um, I hope that at some point I become executive director of our division and maybe even continue to grow and potentially become, you know, a VP at the hospital level in some administrative fashion. Um, if that opportunity presents itself, I mean, it's not to say that I wouldn't leave. I mean, if the right opportunity came around, it would be great. Um, but it would really have to be the right opportunity for me just because I'm I'm in a really good spot. I have amazing leader. My boss that I've had for 15 years is amazing. And her boss, um, who I've known since I've been in the system, is amazing, too. So um, it's just a great culture. Um, they really respect work-life balance. They, um, you know, provide a lot of professional development for us. So, you know, I, I hope to continue to grow within that organization and, you know, continue to do things, you know, and grow the programs that we've grown over the past 14 years and continue to just make them better. 
Wow. That's so great. Damn. That's, that's like true Hashtag like goals. advocacy. That's, it. No, it's, 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 it's looking beyond yourself and utilizing the skills and talents you have yeah. to Isn't really it support it. Isn't it interesting how like I'm listening to your, the evolution of your life and of your career and how you started in a role that you didn't really know what you were getting into, but you had that, like, I had done some project management on a very small scale and look how your experiences have slowly led you into the next experience. And you've allowed that. There are so many people out there that fear change and they will let a little bit of change in, but then they'll shut that door down and it never really progresses to anything else. And, you know, you, we get that question all the time. It's like, I'd like to become a speaker. Well, have you ever spoken in public before? Well, no, I'm afraid. Well, have you ever (laughs) been given the opportunity? Yes. And I said, no. And it's that like, you've never really said no to anything. Well, perhaps you have, but you, you've allowed all of these opportunities to grow and you were open to change, which is like, look where it's led you now. I scare people sometimes because I like to change things a little bit too fast and too much and it makes people uncomfortable. Um, I always say, you know, in our ADHA podcast, I always end our episodes by saying, be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, And I think if you don't have change, you don't have growth. And, um, you know, I'll tell you, and it's it's not a secret because I I shared it in my um, in both my installation speech and in, in both times when I gave campaign speeches, I used to be petrified, petrified beyond belief to speak in front of a group of people, even like four or five people. Um, the first time that I ever had to give testimony at a state legislative public hearing meeting, I thought that I was going to literally fall out of my chair. I was <laughs> like, my hands were shaking. No. My voice was shaking. Oh, yeah. And it's just something that I became more comfortable with over time. I would, you know, I really challenged myself to say, if this is what you want to do, you're going to have to get comfortable with this. It's not going to feel good, but it's going to, hopefully you get to a point where it just becomes more natural. Um, but now, I mean, I, there's, I still get nervous. Sure. When I speak, but I'm a lot more comfortable with it and I can manage it a lot better. But if you don't challenge yourself to do that, then you can't grow. You can't, become a speaker if you're not willing to make yourself feel uncomfortable and vulnerable and try and speak in front of even a small group of people. Wow. Amen. Wow. I, I agree. That's any amazing. other, any further questions before we close this off, Katrina? I'm no, I, th- this, like, this was such a, I love the mic drop at the yeah. end. You're so right. Being comfortable with being uncomfortable and, and change and growth and innovation. And it's what we've needed in our industry. It's what we need to be accepting as we continue to move forward in our industry. And especially after, if we make it out of this pandemic, whatever that looks like, that we need to have that growth mindset and we need to be resilient to change. And, uh, and that's sometimes a difficult thing for um, the leader of a relatively type A organization. You know what I mean? To, to kind of instill that. And so thank you for the yeah. messages that you've been sharing with us and the things that you've shared with our, our nation. And I know uh, Irene and, and Canadians are certainly and my, watching. And my nation. And, and my her nation, nation are, are watching what you're doing as well. It's, it's, Fun fact, uh, it's I'm wonderful. a member of the ADHA. Did you know that? I did know that. You told me that before. Yes. Are you maybe the only Canadian member? I I don't know if you're the only one or not. I was was interviewed by the ADHA a couple of years ago at ADHA, and I asked why they were- I've seen that video since then. I haven't seen it. Where is it? It's, uh, I'll find it and I'll send it to you. It's, it's a, I've, they've I've, used it for I've, membership. I've seen you I on it. I've never seen it. 
Yeah. So they pulled what me into a room. They're like, we'd like to interview you. <laughs> Why? As the only Canadian member of the ADHA. Like, what? <laughs> That's funny. Why am I the only one? It's such a great resource. Um, Matt, thank you so much. I mean, yes. I love you as a human being. I love you as a friend. Yes. And I love everything that you've done for, for dental hygienists. I mean, you've we're going to link a whole bunch of resources below. Matt's mm-hmm. been featured on a ton of different articles. Matt, Matt's, Matt's been all over modern yes. hygiene in 2007. He's, you, you were like, he's got all these one awards of people yes. that you want to know. Yeah. All of these distinguished alumnus, public yes. health award, young Hispanic professional. I didn't know that you were outstanding Hispanic. service. Look at yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. So many amazing things. Matt, amazing. you're the best. You're, I hope to see you in real life pretty soon. I hope um, so too. And I hope we get to dance on the floor of an ADHA event. I know, once in more. the circle. I miss it and so I much. Know. Phoenix, Phoenix. Uh, yes, come, come to Phoenix. Come to Phoenix. It's going to happen. Um, thank you, Matt. I, I don't know if you know this, but we are called Tooth or Dare podcast for a reason. <laughs> the look of concern on his face right now deserves a screenshot. <laughs> Um, so Katrina and I will do a, a rock, paper, scissors, and whoever the loser is goes up against you. You can choose to accept a tooth or a dare, or you can dish out a tooth or a dare. So you can think about that for a moment while Katrina do our thing. And the rest of you listening right now, you need to follow us on Instagram. You can follow Irene at toothlife.irene. You can follow Katrina at The Dental Hygienist. You can follow the podcast at toothordare.podcast on Facebook and on Insta. Matt, where can peeps follow you? Uh, CrispyRDH on Instagram and on Twitter. There you go. CrispyRDH. Um, we'll link that below. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, ready, girl? Okay. Are we doing this? Okay. I'm ready? so good. Yeah. Ready? Okay. okay. You're so good. Ready? Okay. Rock, Rock paper, paper, scissors, scissors. Shoot. I feel like you're cheating. How am I, how can one cheat? You're like a millisecond behind me, and I thought no, you were doing rock, and then you last minute, minute dropped no. in paper. I, you know what? I lost I, again. No. <laughs> you're just making this up, Irene. I'm such a loser. Harley, okay. I'm just back on my streak. Um, you and me, Matt, would you like to dish, or would you like to accept? If you accept uh, a tooth, it happens now. If you accept a dare, it gets filmed and it goes up on social media. <laughs> she makes one sound way easier than the other. <laughs> yeah, I'll take a tooth. You can a dish tooth. it now. Oh, it, some of these tooths are hardcore. You're not going to want to, you know what I'm saying? No, um, Irene Irene. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think uh, the future of dental hygiene will hold after this pandemic? Um, I think you'll continue to see dental hygienists utilized in really creative and innovative ways. I think um, it's, you know, like we've seen during the pandemic, things like teledentistry become accelerated and used. I think you're going to see the use of dental hygienists in more unique ways. Probably my vision is with additional scope um, being used in a variety of different ways because um, you know, I think access to care is going to get worse before it gets better when the pandemic's over, especially for our more vulnerable populations. So I think there's going to be a necessity to utilize hygienists more uniquely. So I think there's going to be more opportunities for hygienists to practice in places like medical offices or nursing homes. Those opportunities are there now, but they're far and few between. I think you're going to see that explode and get a lot bigger. 
It's a great like answer. A true, like, I like love a true, that. Yeah, like so a true president. Yeah. Matt, thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your evening and out of mm -hmm. your life to chit chat with a little ginger and a little blonde. We appreciate it. Thank you guys yes. for having me. And yes, we and we'll see you in Phoenix next year if we don't see you before yes. then. Hopefully before, so, but for sure Phoenix. Hopefully before, yeah. yes. Yes. All right, until next time, peace out, peeps. Cheers. Welcome back, peeps. We're on this side of the episode. We what are. side of the episode are we on? I don't know. Uh, we're on the flippy we're on the fl flip. On the, on, uh, we're on the flippity the flip. flip side. We're on the on flippity, the flippity, flippity flip, of the flip. flip. Oh my god! Holy muller. Well, that was a fun episode. I miss Matt. I, I miss Matt him. in real life. He's he's a really nice dude. Do you know? Oh my word! That was Darby. Did you hear that? Darby. Darby. How god, dare you? So rude. Do you know Matt is so sweet? So he is in Wisconsin and he messaged me the last time that I was in Wisconsin. And he's like, hey, next time you're in town, like, let's go get beers and like cheese and do things. And it's like, oh my gosh, that's like so sweet. Beer and cheese and do things with the former I president I was of like, the American Dental Hygiene Association. Stop it. I know. I was like, what? I was so excited. Can you be a little less cool? Like, please be a little less cool. I can't be friends with you if you're friends with all of these high-powered people. You are the cool. You're one of the coolest people I know, Irene. I am the lamest person. You are the first the person that I message to ask really deep questions to. Yeah, like, why do I have $17 in my why? fanny pack from why? last night? I just what went through I? my fanny pack and I have money in there and I want to know why. What do you think it is? I don't know. From all the way in another country. <laughs> I don't know, Katrina. I don't know what you did last night. I'm just over here trying to tell people that their lives are falling apart and they You're can't breastfeed. You're just trying to, like, help people <laughs> and I'm, like, going to the gay bar. It's like, what? So no, I'm like not I cool. Should, I feel like I should play that voice note for everyone to hear. <laughs> no, they're swearing the in it. It's probably a bad. Is idea. There, we'll do it another day. You can bleep it. Nah. We'll let it. We'll just. I don't want everyone to know our relationship. People don't need to there know needs to the be, layers. There needs to be some secrecy depth behind our friendship. Yeah, that's true. we're already so public and out there. That's true. Anywho, that was a fun episode. So fun. Thank you so much, Mr. President. For um, being on our podcast, and we appreciate you, and we appreciate everything that you've done for dental hygienists south of the border, and for the beautiful collaborations with us yes. up here in the north. Thank you, and to our peeps at Hugh Freedy, thanks Thank again for you, supporting dental hygienists and acknowledging our hard work during National Dental Hygiene Month. Mm -hmm. And feel free and make sure, peeps, if you're doing anything fun, and even if you're not doing something fun, you should, because I know it's a tough time for everyone right now. So pick a day, wear purple at your office. It'd be fun to see some purple underneath all of those gowns and N95s and face shields and all that fun stuff. And hashtag show us your purple um, so that it could all be shared to, to Hugh Freedy's platform. And check out the Harmony Scaler. But yes, seriously. Check it out. They've got, just ask them to see all their new instruments because they've got some amazing stuff coming out. Really? Yeah. Do they have any Tooth Life Irene instruments coming? I out? don't know. They should. Dun, I feel dun, like they dun, should be like hot pink with like glitter in the handle. Dun, dun, dun. Don't you think? They'd be like cute. Dun, dun, dun. Peace out, peeps. Thanks again for tuning in. We love you. Happy National Dental Hygiene Month to all of you scaling perio slayers out there. Boom. Peace out, peeps. 
Cheers. Someone, someone get Katrina a bottle of condensed air. I just, need a just, spray. just send me a DM. I'll give you her address. Just send her one of those spray bottles oh my of God, condensed I would air totally so that she doesn't let eyeball. strangers blow into her eye during a global pandemic. Can you, can you blow into my mucosal membrane of my eyeball, please? Yeah, please. That's transmitted. I got, I got really close to my mic. Cheers. I'll give you a few. I'm going to give you a few different cheerses so you can pick which one you like. Cheers. 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 Well, if I if I did an instrument kit, I would call it the wine flight. Is what I would call it. The wine flight? Of course. Come on. Like taking a flight? Taking a flight. Like on a plane? Having a flight of wine. Oh, I did not get that. But I love you. I love you beep, so much. Blooper, beep. <laughs> <laughs> right now. I feel like a shell of a human. <laughs> I am also a shell of a human. Um, this is not uh, a cute look for why me. Why is it? Why does it feel so good when you take your hair? Off I for know, the first and time? then you just you put you your just, claws you just in your fur. Scratch yes, it. I know. It's. So I feel good. like I wish I wish my microphone was connected to my hair right now, so you could hear the four layers of dry, dry shampoo, shampoo. <laughs> coming yeah, out it's like got oh, that like crunchy yeah. feel to it oh yeah, yeah. thank god oh, for yeah. dry shampoo like what would what we did do we do before it i don't i don't remember. know like what did laura ingalls wilder do when she was so busy turning stuck in butter that bonnet in her bonnet that she couldn't wash her bonnet her, so we we are the laura ingalls of today's society i feel like while we, we wear our scrub caps we are yes, we, are we are the pilgrim women of <laughs> <laughs> except way more educated and way more fierce yes and a far better life expectancy i feel like i we i hope anyway who knows what do who i know knows? What are you drinking? You're finally drinking a, a white, and I'm drinking a red. This is so odd. I'm drinking a white, and you're drinking a red. I was gonna drink. I had some leftover red from from dinner this evening. I oh. cooked with it. Oh, I like so it's that. it's terrible. It's like dry, super dry. Yeah, I can yeah. tell on your face. Is it a Merlot? It's a it's a uh, Shiraz, oh. Chablis, not a Chablis, because that would be white. No. Syrah, Petite Syrah. I think it's a petite. Why syrup. do I keep guessing? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I like, really want to get it. <laughs> the bottle's back there. I'll, I'll, I'll. Yeah, but it's really bad. It's like zero sugar. Yeah, you so like it's... sweet wines. I feel like. Well, no, this doesn't. Yeah, I do. I do yeah. generally like sweet wines, but what I cook with really dry. So I made That's some what you really nice. Do. I made some really nice mussels today. <gasps> Stop it! That's I, I love mussels. Yeah, I bought six pounds of mussels because they were on sale. I was walking through the grocery store. So okay. Wait, let's should we do like an intro? I feel like we just let's started talk talking. About it in the, yeah, this, should we do an okay, intro? Yeah. All right, and I'll edit this stuff in. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I really have no, I have no clue what you're talking about. Ever. Most of the time, I don't know what you're talking about. As long as you just smile and nod and kind of like <laughs> pretend that you know what's going on. That's, that's really all that I'm adjudicating for at this time. That's basically how I live my life. <laughs> just smile, just smile and nod. <laughs> There's like a vigorous head, vigorous head. Bomb. I know, but it's really embarrassing when somebody asks you like, oh, have you seen this movie? And you're smiling and nodding. And then they, then you're like too far into the lie. You know, you're like, Ugh. 
Yeah, I remember I feel, that. I feel like too. I do that when I lecture. They're like, oh, have you heard about this product that does this and that? I'm like, oh, yeah, of course I Absolutely. have. Absolutely. Yeah, Use it all the time. What, what company makes it? Uh, <laughs> not sure. <laughs> you what said, I love you about that. We turn. do this all the time. <laughs> my turn. Our I'll editor let you hates go, us. Irene. Our editor hates us. Shane, Sean. Shane, Sean, we Scott, love you. Susan, Sean, John. whoever you are, um, Sean, Sean. Oh, Matt's mm-hmm. been featured on a ton of different articles. He was named, uh, like, Ray was named Ra 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 <laughs> by Katrina's Poochies. Um, I'm so sorry. My neighbors just now decided to, like, no. water the grass out front. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Now's no. not the time. <laughs>